make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Jesus came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First, he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together as we begin. Oh, oh, make us understand it. Help us to take it in, what it meant for you, the Holy One, to bear away our sin. Father, please help us now to listen, to speak, to think, to understand, so that we might believe and obey and rejoice. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, part of our prayer this evening was taken from the refrain of a, of a much older hymn by a lady named Catherine Kelly, Give Me Sight, O Savior. And that hymn said in our prayer on an evening like this, Good Friday, not only is true, but it's also absolutely necessary. As here in Hebrews chapter 10, we have essentially an explanation from God through the pen of a person as to the nature and to the magnitude and the great value of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. Now, as you think about the number of times that many of us have had the privilege to receive communion and how often by time and our songs and sermons to direct our attention in this way, it, it may almost seem unnecessary to do so, except for the fact that we realize how quickly we are forgetful, not of the fact of the death of Christ, but as to the great monumental significance of the death of Christ and to the fact that we owe everything, 
everything in terms of our acceptance with God, everything in terms of our entire Christian existence, every grace we enjoy. We owe everything to essentially one thing, the work of Christ at Calvary, which is outside of us, which was accomplished for us by the suffering and death of Christ because of us in our sins. And loved ones, there is nothing like this in the entire universe because the New Testament makes this very, very clear that there is nothing more deadly to the Christian or to anyone than our own self-righteousness. There's nothing more sub-Christian than, than a pretend morality that is nothing more than an external attempt to keep our own given standards. Because one of the earliest signs of work, of the work of grace in the heart of God's people is a thorough awareness of their sin and their utter hopelessness to deal with it apart from Jesus Christ. And so it becomes my hope on this Good Friday evening that as we take a look at these verses tonight that we'll come to the Lord's table and we'll come to this Good Friday and we'll come to Easter more mindful and better equipped and at least for myself far more humble in these things. So what I'm going to try to do is summarize these 18 verses that we read under a few headings all of which will be bits and pieces of hymns which is how I arrange my thoughts this evening. And so you say, well, why hymns? Well, they're helpful. The ones that I chose are truthful. Ephesians tells us that hymns are spiritual and one of the sure signs that someone is filled with the Spirit is that they're able to sing hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude to God and to one another. So first of all, then, verses 1 to 4, here's our hymn. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away our stains. I mean, that's, that's verses 1 to 4, isn't it? That's what God is saying through the writer in those verses. That's what has been captured perfectly in poetry by Isaac Watts in his hymn. And what the writer is telling us here is that the Old Testament animal sacrifices provided a constant reminder for the user of those sacrifices that they were in need of consistent and continual cleansing from sin. That the sacrifice of animals which were provided within the framework of the Old Testament law could only portray what was needed, but it could not provide what, what was needed. In other words, the sacrifice was only a picture of what was needed because of sin. It could not provide what was needed because of sin. And if your Bible is open, you can see there in verse 2, as the writer says, if it could have provided what was needed, then there would have been no need for the repetition. In other words, if the sacrificial system would have been able to do what was needed, a once and for all atonement for sin, then they wouldn't have needed a high priest to go in once a year year after year in the Day of Atonement. But each time they went through the motions of these things, it, it, was, it was, if you would, almost like one of those how-to books. Because what they did was essentially remind the person of their sinfulness. They were reminded in those sacrifices of their need of cleansing. And they were reminded what, what these sacrifices, which God had ordained to take place, were all pointing to. And they were all pointing forward to be fulfilled in the coming final sacrifice, which would take place at one decisive moment. And that sacrifice would deal with sin in its complete entirely once and for all. 
And that's what the writer is pointing out here, that only a human being can provide a sacrifice for other human beings. Verse 4, it's impossible for animal sacrifices, bulls and goats, to take away sin. That's why we chose the hymn, not all the blood of beast on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. Only Jesus could. Only the Lamb of God, Christ, could do such things. Again, to the hymn writer, they help us so much. O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight, a second rescue came. O wisest love, that flesh and blood, which did in Adam fail, should strive afresh against the foe, should strive and should prevail. You see, the Bible is clear. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, but not the blood of beast, but the blood of a man. And of course, not just any man either, the Son of Man, namely the Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life willingly once. He wasn't coerced. He wasn't forced like a bull or a goat or a sheep, but he goes willingly. And what I want to suggest to you this evening is that there is, I think, a subtle warning in this For the Christian dare not rely on their own religious sacrificial system, whatever it might be, to make us or keep us in the right with God or even make us more right with God. For if we have another religious sacrificial system that we bring alongside the gospel for our peace, for example, a tremendous devotional life, uh, tremendous mystical experiences, a heavy workload for Jesus Christ. If we have another religious sacrificial system, it will do at least two things for us. It's inevitable. One, we will become eventually the most disgruntled, depressed, and despondent Christian for we will fail to keep even our own standards and then what will we do? Are we going to tone things down? Are we going to rearrange our standards? And surely you see the problem with that. Or, number two, we will, come, we will become the most judgmental of all Pharisees, looking down on everyone and saying to ourselves, well, at least I'm not as bad as they are. Thereby living off our own performance, we become incredibly judgmental. Luke 18, to some who were confident in their own righteousness, Jesus told this parable. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. That's our first point. Verses 1 to 4. The sacrificial system was purposely ineffective. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. Not the blood of beasts, not our own religious performances. Secondly, verses 5 to 11, our second hymn, where sin runs deep, your grace is more, where grace is found is where you are, and where you are, Lord, I am free. And here's the key, holiness is Christ in me. Verse 5a, do you see it there? Consequently, or, or therefore, as the NIV has it, when Christ came into the world, indicating that at the coming of Jesus Christ, that was the signal of the wor- to the world, which said the time had come for the end of the sacrificial ritual of the Jews. If, if holiness is needed, then holiness was going to have to be imputed. Therefore, in verse 5, we discover that even the Psalms are about Jesus. I mean, it's, we say this, right? That 
you know the Bible and you know your way around the Bible by looking for Jesus. Don't play where's Waldo with the Bible and thinking you're Waldo. The Bible is a book about Jesus. So the writer is quoting from Psalm 40 and those words then become Christ's words. It's beautiful. Verse 7, here I am. It's just, I have a picture of just a little boy going, here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, O God. Now at verse glance, you read verse 5a, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. It would seem to say that the sacrificial system was irrelevant. But he's not saying this. He's not saying that the system was irrelevant, but that it was ineffective. And that God was purposeful in this. The the sacrificial system was pointing forward. It was fulfilling a purpose. They reminded everyone of their sin. Checked. They were reminded that they needed cleansing. Checked. But these sacrifices can only offer something which pointed to the ultimate end, which provided in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, the Jewish believers needed to learn that there was no longer any need for animal sacrifices, no need for them to keep the ceremonial parts of the law. It's a strange thing to me that there are many places that want to go back to those things and reintroduce those things. Why? There's no need for them. Verse 9 again, Here I am, I've come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. And what the writer is saying is this. The promises that are symbolized in the Old Testament offerings have been fulfilled by one single offering of his own body once and for all. And again, as I think about life here for all of us, I always wonder if some have their own imagined sacrificial system that they've set in place that if we maintain, then all is well or maybe all is even better with God, forgetting that every essential doctrine we have and we enjoy and we rely on from the scriptures is ultimately dependent or hinged on the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ and nothing more. Apart from the cross, there there is no stairway to heaven. Human righteousness is wonderful, but it's not that wonderful and it's certainly not that powerful. For only the lamb without blemish who offers himself to God, Hebrews 9.14, purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So only the lamb without blemish can do what is needed. Another hymn, not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. That's why my pastoral experience teaches me that the most dangerous words most of the time, if not all, I can hear from someone who's come out of huge amounts of moral failure or moral fault or they've detached themselves from the body of Christ for a whole long time. The most dangerous words are words of making grand promises of how hard they're willing to work to make things better and how hard they want to really go at it for Jesus. In other words, their own sacrificial system. Now, on one level, they are certainly to be commended for their zeal, but part of me wants me to say, no, you're not. You will never be that good because they need to know and they need to believe that the first covenant, the covenant of works, has been set aside for the second covenant, the covenant of grace, because the second, verse 9, has taken the place of the first. 
And so they need to know that the very righteousness they need comes only from God through Christ. That's Romans 10.3. What was the problem there where they were attempting to establish their own righteousness and by doing that they did not rely on the righteousness that was provided for them in Jesus Christ. Do you, do you see what a dangerous game that is? These people want to stand up and work and I want to tell them sit down and worship and listen. And that takes us to verse 10. And by the will of Christ, we have been made holy, past tense, through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. I mean, it's incredible. By the will of God, by the sacrifice of a nobler name and a richer blood, the offering of Jesus has achieved the will of God for the salvation of men and women. We have been made holy, again, past tense, through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now, loved ones, if you're listening, that is, and if you're listening and you're honest about sin, that is fantastic news. And can we not see again that if we secretly rely on any other sacrificial system based on our self-made list of do's and don'ts or the things that really make us feel close to God and we try to run alongside those things with the gospel, then let Jesus Christ destroy it. Let Him destroy it. James Denny, the death of Christ, he says, Christ did not come into the world only to be a good man. It was not for this that a body was prepared for him. He came to be a great high priest and the body was prepared for him that by the offering of it, he might put sinful men and women forever into a perfect spiritual relation to God. Holiness is Christ. In me. Now I want you to notice the contrast between verses 10 and 11 and 11 and 12. Verse 11, day after day, every high priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. Again and again, day after day, the re- religious sacrifices. This is, this is a me on a Monday cleaning the house. Again and again, washing, cleaning, only to have to do it the next Monday because she said so. Verse 12, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. All his work has ended joyfully. We sing Jesus Christ ascended glory to the King. And because Christ has made such a triumphant action, he sits down. He sits down because his work is finished. He sits down as he waits, verse 13, for his enemies to be defeated. A king It's a beautiful picture, a king sitting down, having finished his work, but waiting for his enemies to be defeated. In other words, Jesus Christ has his enemies in checkmate, and all they can do is move themselves around the board, but they are waiting for the inevitable. They are waiting for their defeat. Why? Verse 14, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And there you are again. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. Now, do you understand what the writer is saying? He's saying that because of Jesus Christ, we have been made perfect positionally in Christ. In Christ, that's the key. Consequently, the enemies of righteousness have nothing to accuse the believer of. They have nothing to accuse and nothing that they say will stick. And why is this so? Why is this so? Again, Verse 14, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those being sanctified. Which is why Jesus can sit down and he waits for his enemies to be his footrest. That's Colossians 2, 14 and 15. 
Jesus forgave us all our sins, Paul writing to the Christians, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taking it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In other words, in Christ, the Christian is perfected forever, which means we are fully, permanently accepted on, in God's sight only on the count of the work of God's Son. And so someone will say, well, yes, but you don't know what I've done. And maybe someone will be bold enough to say, yeah, but you don't know what they've done. Well, I'm honest enough to say, frankly, you do not know what I have done. Christ has made one sacrifice for sin, which means in communion, which we're going to take here in just a moment, we are not re-sacrificing Jesus at this table. We are not reenacting the sacrifice of Jesus. This is not another massacre. For there's no reason for this. The only reason why we would do that would be if the final sacrifice wasn't really the final sacrifice and somehow it didn't accomplish what it said it did. But the Bible says it did accomplish what it set out to do. Christ has made one sacrifice for sin. And as a result, the Christian stands righteous in Jesus Christ, which doesn't mean that, we're, that we are sinless, but it does mean we are righteous. We are both sinful and perfected. Perfected like the thief on the cross was because he was in Christ. So when he went to paradise, the only reason why he is in is because the man in the middle cross, Jesus, said he was in because he was in Christ. Loved ones, if you don't understand this, if you don't grab onto this, if this stuff doesn't make your heart kind of leap a little, then you will constantly find yourself harassed by the evil one, constantly battered by him, plaguing you and annoying you and creating in you this kind of internal search to try to find something to speak in your defense. And so there you go. I've really been doing much better lately. I've been reading my Bible more than I ever have. And I'm more serious about things now. And, and I'm praying more than I ever have. I, I even went to a prayer service last month. And I'm really going to give it a go at public worship. Maybe not this Easter season, but, but next Easter season I'm going to do it. And the reason why we feel so duty-bound in this is because we don't have the confidence, we don't have the assurance that our standing with God is entirely, ultimately, outside of us. And that alien righteousness, we'll call it, which has been imputed to our account, is there on the fact that all our sins has been laid on Christ. So, so why would we go back to all those things and try to fix ourselves? We never would if we understood the cross. And the nature of the ongoing work of Christ, the progressive sanctification of the believer in our lives is absolutely needed. And if you don't believe that, then ask your, your spouse, your kids, or your good friend. That's why verse 19, which we didn't re read, begins with a therefore. Therefore, do you see it there? Therefore, the behavior that is now expected from, from the Christian presupposes the work of Christ. It's the way the Bible is written. It's the same thing in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3. Since Jesus Christ has done all these things for you, then how do you think you should live? Point number one, not all the blood of beast on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. Point number two, and where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. Finally, then, the remaining four verses, this will be very brief. 
This is a beautiful song. 1979, Nancy Honeytree. Clean before the Lord I stand. And in me not one blemish does he see. Now how can that be? Is it because I have like the super ego? Clean before my Lord? Surely he, he, he must see us in another way. Yes, he does. He sees us in Christ. So the work of the Spirit in sanctification is that we are becoming what we are. We're becoming what we are. Not what we like. Not what we're not. But what we are. Well, who says? The Holy Spirit in the Old and New Testament. Do you see it there? Verse 15. He's quoting from Jeremiah 31. This is the new covenant that has been ratified by Jesus. The Holy Spirit testifies about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I'll put my law in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. Then he adds, verse 17, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where there have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. In other words, clean before the Lord I stand. And in me, not one blemish does he see. Let me close with this. The time for Nicole and I to be raising children is, is drawing to a close. One is on his way out and, and one is a few years away from being out. If you ask me, what was the best thing that we ever did in our family's existence? I will say this. It's only one thing. And it's only by God's grace. We drove it into our kids. And you can ask, us, ask them this. We drove it into our kids again and again and again. Don't you dare. Don't you dare rely on your own righteousness to make you right or make you feel right with God. Son, Daughter, you glory, you glory in the finished work of Jesus Christ. No matter what everybody else is doing, no matter where they're going, no matter how tremendous it sounds, the places that they're doing are going and the things that they're doing, don't you dare, dare rely on anything else but the precious blood of Jesus Christ shed for your sins once and for all at Calvary's cross. That's it. Thanks be to God for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If, if those who will be serving communion tonight will come forward, I'm going to make my way down there now.